Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week a continuation of my Faces in Fascism series. Today I'm talking about somebody who is definitely not a fascist. This person's politics are not fascistic. However, he is a part of the rising tide of fascism in the United States especially, and therefore the rest of the world, and so he deserves to play a part in this story. I'm talking about billionaire funder Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel was born in Frankfurt, what was then West Germany, in 1967. His family moved away when he was only one year old and moved around internationally for a large part of the rest of his life. This was due to the career of his father, who was a chemical engineer who worked for major mining operations internationally. They moved to Cleveland and then also to Southwest Africa, a country that was at the time administered by apartheid South Africa after the German colony of Southwest Africa was ceded to the United Kingdom after the World Wars. Southwest Africa later was renamed Namibia after the end of apartheid in South Africa. The Teals moved around the world, like I said, and lived a pretty nice life. You know, his father's money made it such that they were pretty well off wherever they were. Thiel particularly attributes his eventual political stance, his libertarianism, to his experiences in strict corporal punishment-style British boarding schools and other schooling experiences in the various places that they stayed. The Teals eventually landed in California, where Peter excelled at math. As a youth, he got into Ayn Rand. He eventually studied philosophy at Stanford, where he worked with a lot of folks who were opposed to increasing representation for non-white people and people who aren't men in the Stanford educational curriculum. Thiel continued at Stanford for law school and would essentially stay based in the Bay Area for the rest of his life up until today. After law school, he did some legal work for a couple years in the early 90s, but then he went into finance and moved back to the Bay Area, like I said, where he has remained both in finance and in the Bay Area ever since. This, when he moved back to the Bay Area, was in the midst of the first dot-com bubble, and Teal dove in as an investor. He had an early couple failures, you know, losing a couple hundred thousand dollars, a couple million dollars, but he got his first big success with PayPal a business that specifically aimed to get companies out of working with both banks and the government for finances. This was an extremely big boon for Thiel, not just in terms of how much money he made, because he made a whole lot of money, but also because Peter Thiel's politics, a sort of conservative-style libertarianism, were exactly in line with the business model of PayPal. You know, eliminating middle people, eliminating middlemen, like the government and the banks, from financial operations of businesses and individuals. This also got him connected to a bunch of other people that he would work with essentially for the remainder of his career, including Elon Musk, whose similar company, X.com, was acquired by PayPal in a merger. He did some other finance capital moves early in the 2000s. He bet on the global financial bubble that hit in the early 2000s and won. This is also when he founded Palantir in 2003, this company was named after the Seeing Stones in The Lord of the Rings, Teal being a longtime and very open fan of the series, which, unfortunately for other fans of the series, yes, uh, Lord of the Rings has quite a lot of extremely conservative themes. Uh, conservatives really, really love the series. 
Palantir is a data analysis company. This was another major success for Teal. The company works with the United States government and it works with other major tech and data companies in order to get information that people leave or have taken from them on the internet in order to produce advertising information, in order to produce demographic information, and also in order to monitor the activities of civilians on the part of the government itself. For example, some of Palantir's contracts, some of their first big, big, big contracts were with the CIA. Teal won big again, again with a big data company, with an early investment in Facebook in 2004. This was followed by another series of major investments in internet ventures that we don't really need to get into here. The point is that by the mid-2000s, Peter Thiel was at the heart of a lot of big Silicon Valley moves in the 2000s. He continues to be, actually, at the heart of a lot of big ups and downs in the Silicon Valley economy. For example, many publications have said that Thiel is potentially responsible for the bank run that collapsed the Silicon Valley Bank earlier this year, the second biggest bank collapse in the history of the United States. But I'm not here to talk about Peter Thiel's, you know, economic prowess or his experience as a venture capitalist, right? That I can leave that for the Forbes write-up or whatever, who cares? The point is that the guy made a whole lot of money and he made a lot of really powerful friends in the most powerful, at least, you know, the biggest growing and the most like socially prestigious at the time industry in the United States, that is technology. He has parlayed this into an extremely powerful political career. And that is what I want to talk about for the remainder of this episode. Thiel's political work makes him not just another billionaire guy. You know, lots of billionaires fund politicians essentially to get what they want. The difference with Peter Thiel is that while he does get what he wants, you know, he, he gets what he wants politically when he funds political candidates, Thiel is also apparently a true believer. He believes in libertarianism, and he believes in a certain brand of conservatism. Exactly what that is is going to be a little confusing. Thiel's self-avowed politics are far-right libertarian. On personal freedom issues, Peter Thiel is opposed to almost all government restrictions. For example, he is openly gay, and that is something that would run him afoul of a lot of the far-right parts of the Republican Party. You know, They are getting increasingly upset about homosexuality as such, right? On other issues such as race and immigration, though, Peter Thiel is a much more typical conservative, although he has been trying to walk that back over the last several years. But especially early on in his political career, he was pretty openly racist and anti-immigration. His open attacks on diversity and multiculturalism in college and other essays uh, also included denials of the reality of sexual violence. These essays have been pretty influential in the like right-wing think space, you know, like right-wing people who have blogs and, you know, write books and call each other philosophers and shit on Twitter and whatever. He has later apologized for these remarks, but they have already done the damage that they were going to do. Thiel's work has been influential in the works of people like Curtis Yarvin, probably the most prominent fringe right-wing intellectual in the United States today. Thiel is opposed to immigration. He's still opposed to immigration, despite the fact that, of course, he himself is an immigrant. What he's opposed to is immigration from Latin America. He's opposed to immigration from Africa. He is a racist opponent of immigration. 
As a libertarian, Peter Thiel is also opposed to United States intervention abroad, that is military and financial intervention abroad. His position is something that he's characterized as freedom forever, as in he thinks that the United States can hunker down within its borders and never worry about being invaded and just like have its own prosperous life and let the rest of the world go to hell. Meanwhile, he wants very small government, he wants low taxes, etc. Pretty standard economic libertarian positions. Peter Thiel moved into politics as such, as a mover and a shaker, in the late 2000s. In 2007, he supported Ron Paul's presidential nomination bid. This was probably the last gasp of actual libertarianism within the GOP before the ascendance of the far right in the party starting in 2012 and eventually, finally, triumphantly in 2016. After Ron Paul failed in this nomination fight, Peter Thiel supported the candidacy of John McCain III against Barack Obama. This, of course, was a failure. By the mid-2010s, Peter Thiel and the rest of the Republican Party had moved on to support the winning course, you know, which turned out to be Christian nationalism. And that is a pretty good way to encapsulate the politics of Donald Trump and the rest of Donald Trump's coalition. And that is the coalition that Peter Thiel has jumped on the bandwagon of. Remember, Thiel is pretty good at reading this particular kind of room. He is actually a pretty good strategist and a pretty good reader of trends. He has made a lot of money doing so. In 2016, Peter Thiel was an extremely open supporter of Donald Trump. He endorsed Trump. He donated a million dollars. He served on Donald Trump's political transition team, which is a team of advisors that essentially set up a White House for a president. This is especially important when the White House has changed party hands, right? You know, you need to just like change over all of the government appointees that the president is in charge of. And that's a huge, big undertaking. Presidents often give these kinds of plum positions to people who have donated heavily to them or people who have really hitched their horses to them, which Thiel did. Thiel also specifically aided Donald Trump in 2016 by helping Cambridge Analytica, a big data mining and strategy company, use Facebook data in order to target Trump ads in 2016. Remember that Thiel was on the Facebook board because he was an early Facebook investor. Thiel has since left the Facebook board in order to support Donald Trump in 2020 and then to support far-right political candidates in 2022, which I want to talk about now. After the failure of the Donald Trump 2020 race, Thiel has not held back any of his right-wing political activities. Instead, he has really doubled down, although he's tried to stay a little bit more in the background because, you know, he doesn't exactly want people to remember him as you know, that guy who supported that racist loser, right? That, that's not the brand that he wants to have. He wants the brand that every Silicon Valley, you know, kingmaker genius dude wants, which is the, the guy who knows more than everybody in the room. And, you know, people walk in and they want to give him a billion dollars to do something really smart. You know, that's, that's what he wants. Peter Thiel has backed to the political candidacies of a lot of state candidates and federal candidates in red states. For example, he supported the Senate candidacy of Josh Hawley in Missouri. Josh Hawley is a senator from Missouri, and he is famous for saluting the January 6th coup participants as they were invading the United States Capitol building in order to lynch Mike Pence and prevent Joe Biden from becoming the president. So that's one of Teal's allies, Josh Hawley. Thiel supported the unsuccessful candidacy of a guy named Blake Masters for the GOP Senate candidate in Arizona in 2022. 
Blake Masters, a pretty young guy, was a close collaborator with Teal. He was a co-author on a book with him. He was the chief operating officer of one of Teal's investment firms. He works on Teal's foundation. And so he was a pretty obvious pick for a, like, Teal surrogate in Senate, right? If this had been successful, Teal would have essentially had his own pocket senator in the United States Congress. However, Blake Masters lost to the Democratic incumbent, Senator Kelly, in Arizona in 2022. Blake Masters' politics, like Josh Hawley's, are a little bit more standardly conservative than Teal's. Blake Masters is opposed to abortion. He thinks that gun violence is a race issue. He has literally said it is, quote, about black people, frankly. Blake Masters is opposed to immigration, even legal immigration. And he has also openly said that the 2020 election in which Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump was stolen from Donald Trump. Another clear Teal ally and someone who is in the United States Senate right now is J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance, like Teal, is a guy who got a law degree and then worked in finance. He worked on another one of Teal's investment firms, a different one from the one that Blake Masters did. Teal has a lot of investment firms. J.D. Vance founded a different investment firm with Peter Teal's money, this one in J.D. Vance's home state of Ohio. J.D. Vance and Teal were early investors together with Rumble, a YouTube alternative for right-wing people who have been demonetized from Trump. Unlike Blake Masters, J.D. Vance won his Ohio Senate seat in 2022, meaning that Peter Thiel has a pretty direct link to the United States Senate right now. J.D. Vance is open about his, essentially, race nationalism. He believes that Democrats want immigration in order to replace white voters. He has openly supported the so-called Great Replacement Theory, the idea that Democrats on the left in general are trying to, quote-unquote, replace the white population of the United States with people of color. J.D. Vance has said that he believes that biological parents are more important than any other kind of parent, which is an obvious anti-queer dog whistle, right? It's saying that people who need to adopt in order to have children are less important, less real parents than the people who have their children biologically. J.D. Vance is also pretty openly a tradcath, right? He's a traditionalist Catholic. If you want to hear more about what tradcath is, check out the rest of my podcast. I talk about it quite often. The point is that Peter Thiel has moved into the background a little bit after the failures of the Donald Trump campaign in 2020, and also after the excesses of the Trump campaign and Trump presidency, you know, the coup, for example. However, he remains a behind-the-scenes kingmaker type. He is a leader within the GOP who is working with its nationalist members, but who needs to be extremely careful of the extreme right because of the rest of his positions, right? He is not a nationalist fascist in the same ways that they are. He believes that they are useful tools in order to get what he wants, which is a United States where people like him can make a shit ton of money without having to pay any taxes. However, in this sense, as a historian, I have to tell you that Thiel is in a little bit of a bind. He has found himself at the forefront of a fervent, actual right-wing nationalist movement one that borders on fascism and increasingly inches over that border on a daily basis. As an out gay man, and also as a finance capitalist, Thiel has a lot to be worried about when it comes to the power of these kinds of political movements. I sincerely hope that neither he nor anybody else in the United States or the world needs to see the true 
power that the things that a group like this is really capable of. Because historically, we know that they are some of the worst things that human beings have ever done. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. You can reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com and on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you Thursday.